If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 17. Feels like we've been gone from Colossians for a little bit, and I'm excited to get back into it. This was one of the sections of Scripture um, that I really loved um, when I was taking Dr. Bauer's class at ATS. It was one that we got to focus in and look at these phrases um, and several of you uh, know, I know Stan and I have had this conversation about the one another's that are throughout Scripture. And this is one of those moments where we get to look at those phrases again. But this section in Colossians is actually a trajectory. Um, it's picking up on where we talked about very from the get-go that Christ is our sufficient. He is all that we need. And this is one of those sections of Scripture that builds on that layer to tell us why is He so sufficient? Why is He all that we need? And so we're going to look at this passage and I hope as we dive into it this morning, uh, it will help shape us and mold us. Uh, it's something that we can take away. Um, so let's pray together. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just ask that as we open Your Word, and we look at it together, that You would continue to speak, that You would continue to draw us to Yourself. And Lord, we thank You that Your Word is alive and active, and that it comes to us, and that we can freely come to it. So Lord, meet us in these moments. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, there's some things that I like about this particular translation that we'll get into a little bit later. But here these words. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. Right from the get-go, Paul is throwing this statement. Christ is all and in all. That word but is right there. And so we got to look at what does it mean? What is it connecting us to? And I think Paul is lifting up all these human, all these human designations. Where they came from, their race, their creed, what religions they had believed in, how they acted, were they slave or free? And he's saying that means nothing in the economy of God. That means nothing to Christ. Because if we truly are in Christ, He is in us, then He is everything. He is the one that supplies all our need. We don't have to turn back to say, well, my grandfather was this. Or my grandmother was this. And don't get me wrong, I love having a heritage of grandparents who believed, who went before me in the faith. I think of my grandmother McLean down the road on weekdays during the summer because both of my parents worked jobs off the farm. And so they would drop me off. And I remember getting down there about 7 o'clock in the morning and grandmother would be in her room 
and she would be kneeling over the bed praying. Grandfather would be in the back room. Um, he liked his lazy boy uh, chair a lot. Um, and he believed it was a great spiritual place as well. But he would sit there and he would have a couple of Bibles. And I have one of his old Bibles that's, you know, falling apart. And he used uh, electrical tape to hold it together. And he's got little margins of what God was teaching him and he was learning. And I love that rich heritage. I love that they prayed for me. My grandmother even said that they prayed for Alicia before we even knew Alicia. And I love that. And many of you have that heritage as well. But I think what Paul is getting at here as well is those things are nice, but we can't build our lives on our parents' faith or our grandparents. We have to take hold of that last few words. Christ in all and in all. Is Christ really all that you need? Or are you trying to make your life measure up to your grandparents' faith? Or your parents' faith? And trust that, well, I'll go to heaven because my parents, they taught me. I'll believe eventually what they believe. And I guess this is partly to our teens and partly to our young adults is take hold of the faith. It's a great example that your parents and grandparents have gone before you, but take ownership of that faith for yourself. Because those designations, when we get to heaven, God's not going to look. He's not going to open the book and see your genealogy chart and say, oh, well, you had a great grandmother or a great father of the faith. He's going to ask you if you ever trusted him. Let's jump back to the beginning of verse 11. In that renewal. That renewal is the acceptance of the Gospel message. The acceptance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That when you accept Jesus Christ, He is coming into your life and renewing you, restoring you to the image that back before the fall He intended you to be. He sees you. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sees you as what you could be with that renewed relationship. They desire that Christ really would be your all. Let's go on. As God's chosen one, ones, holy and beloved, close yourself selves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, close yourselves 
with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we dive into this passage, and we've looked at verse 11, the first thing that just cries out to me, God expects us to view one another as equals. And unpacking this equals as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we see each other as ones that we are called to spur each other along, to help each other to grow? The one another's, the one another relationship is a desire and a need from me to you and you to me. We need one another. And thus God is putting us equal in this that our background, that baggage, that thing that was hindering us from coming to know Him, once we have our relationship with Him and we are saved, He's saying that is no longer a stumbling block to you in my relationship with you. We are equal. And we are called to speak truth into each other's lives. We are called to cultivate, to truly see ourselves as brothers and sisters with one another and sons and daughters of the Most High King. Galatians talk about the same thing and it's basically the same verbiage. Greek nor or Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And so it's this repetition that Paul is speaking, that the Holy Spirit is speaking into the early churches to say there is no difference. These things were once barriers to fellowshipping with each other when you were on the outside of the church are no longer barriers to the fellowship inside the church. For we were baptized. I love 1 Corinthians in the 12, 13. For we were baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Greek or, or Jews or Greek, slave or free, we are all given one Spirit. I don't know how much of you um, have studied the history of baptism. I kind of geek out on the little church history of that part. On baptismal certificates, when they were first instituted, your last name was not supposed to be on that baptismal certificate. It wasn't to say, on such and such day, Joshua Jeremiah Kiesling was baptized. It was supposed to say, Joshua Jeremiah. Because the last name through baptism, through that commitment, that outward expression of I am proclaiming that I have been adopted into Christ's family. 
I'm supposed to be a Christ follower. And that certificate is just a reminder that I'm not a Keesling, not just a son of Rex. I'm a son of God, the Father, and a brother to Jesus Christ. And are we living that up? Are we living as equals to share with each other that we really are brothers and sisters in Christ? And no matter our life before, no matter what happened to us before, coming into a relationship should not hinder us from being true brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the second thing I see here, and you're going to say, Josh, you've already preached on this part. And I went back and, yeah, we did. Um, but Paul, for some reason, keeps coming back to this statement. We're expected to love one another. And again, we look at this love, and love is self-sacrificing. We just proclaimed last week, He is risen. Because He sacrificed Himself for us. The One who is love came to this earth and sacrificed Himself to give all that He is so that we would be free. It even talks about the Father's relationship to us in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He gave. Self-sacrificing is giving True love, love that we see in Scripture, always is giving. It's not seeking. It's not wanting to take in, but it's giving away. And I think a practical example of this, um, again, comes from John chapter 13. We see Jesus at the Passover meal, kneeling down and start washing the feet of His disciples. The feet of those that would deny Him. That would run away. That would flee. That would turn their back on Him. And not only is He washing the dust, the dirt, the mud, the grime off of their feet. He takes the towel that's wrapped around Him and and continues to clean them off. This act of great servitude is a great example right there at the beginning of the Passover meal. This is the Christ that we serve, the one who calls us to oneness, calls us to great sacrifice, to continue to love no matter what. And this love is the root of every other Christian virtue. You see this list, I don't think it's finite, I don't think it's everything, but I believe that it gives us an example that love is the root, that everything is growing out of that. To truly love 
or truly to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, it has to come out of the root of love. And I started realizing that we have a practical example, and David's probably better at this than I am because I think he knows how to do this. I don't. It's to graft trees. While we were in North Carolina, Alicia found this website of this history museum um, that they were going to start selling some apple trees and that they were having a grafting day. And so I kind of got a little excited because I wanted to go to it. Uh, we ran out of time, so I didn't get to. But one of the trees that they've grafted, they've taken a stock. And they've grafted four or five different trees onto it. And so I looked it up, Burpee and some of the other catalogs they've got where you have like three or four different apple trees on one root. And they grow and produce. I think it's a practical example that God is saying, if you will let me graft you into this root, this root of love, I will start to produce in you kindness, gratitude, patience, humility. And as a Christian, it begs the question, what are you grafted into? Are you grafted into love? Are you rooted in that love so deep? The same love that Christ shared. And as those elements, as those qualities are produced in us, love will lead us to be restrained and forgiving. I was going to use the word forbearing, uh, for restrain there. That was what I had written down in my studies. And then I had a big question mark beside it. Do we know what that word really means? So unpacking it, looking at different definitions, and in the Greek, one of them is restrained. That we're willing to go the extra mile with the person. When somebody is saying something against you, or giving you a hard time, or whatever that looks like, you are willing to walk the extra mile. I think it's the example we see in Scripture where we're called to take the shirt off of our own back and give to somebody. Even if they've been mean to us, we still go that extra mile. And it leads us to this idea of forgiving. No matter what comes our way, will we always live a life of forgiveness? Will we always be willing to offer forgiveness no matter what? No matter if it's even for us to feel good. No matter if we get anything back. We're called just to forgive. Will we, will we be willing to forgive? 
I think the reason why Paul is talking to us here is that he recognizes in the Colossians church and in churches today, they have people in it. And sometimes people make mistakes. People aren't perfect. Sometimes they fall into a sin. They fall into a trap. And sometimes people test our patience to the limit. And sometimes they hurt us. But you know what? There are brothers and sisters. And I am willing to forgive my sister so much. Not that I feel like she's ever wronged me, except for taking, you know, chocolate because she likes it and not giving it to me. But I remember being a little kid and feeling like she was telling me to do everything and that she was trying to be my mom. I felt like she was being so mean and she was trying to put me down. But at the end of the day, she's my sister. And I'm going to forgive her. I know she didn't mean to do it. There's a lot of things that go on in the life of a church, in the global church, that we do that just seems to try our patience. But Paul is reminding us that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to forgive and to forgive like Christ. Lastly, uh, in love, in this area of love. Love is the bond of perfection. Um, I think the New King James puts it that way. Um, some of the other translations have this idea, and the NIV uh, tries to do it a little bit differently. And so there's two kind of definitions or two kinds of way of looking at this bond of perfection. One uh, from verse 14 is literally means that the love that ties all the virtues together. And that's where the NIV kind of flushes it out. It goes towards this idea that love binds everything and connects all of these virtues together. But I think if we look at the original language, it goes a little bit further. It's not just the virtues that are being connected together or binded together. It's actually calling every Christian to be bonded together. That love is what is binding me to you. Love is what's connecting me to you and you to the person across the pews. And in that connection, in that bonding together, those fruits of the Spirit are produced. Love is growing in us and through us, and so it's uniting us and connecting us in a special way. The world cannot have this relationship. Those who are outside of the faith cannot be connected to those inside the faith in this way. Because this is what's rooted in Christ Jesus Himself, in love. We cannot have this brother and sister relationship with anybody else outside the church. And Paul is reminding us, as that grows inside of us, it causes us to action. And God expects us to live this out 
God expects us to worship with one another. That through Christ Jesus, we can truly worship Him. We can worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 talks about this oneness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace. And through this peace, we are able to worship. And worship comes to remind us some things. Worship should be expressed through thankfulness to God. It's about Him. It's about our thanksgiving. And I love the songs that we sung this morning. Lots of the first verses were on thankfulness to God. Right from the get-go. I love how the Spirit moves Rhonda to see that. And she reads over the Scriptures. And we see how that passionate. And now, as an example of Sunday morning, how are you going to be thankful tomorrow morning in your worship time? In your time with God? Are you going to go over and knock on Rhonda's door at 5.30 in the morning and ask her if she'll replay the songs real quick? She might be willing to because she loves worshiping. But how are you going to do it? How are you going to take hold? So that it doesn't end on Sunday morning. It doesn't end just here on the stage. But you actually worship tomorrow morning. And have thankfulness well up inside of you to connect yourself to God. And again, I want to come back to this. Worship is not about us. It's about God. We should never come to a worship service having this mindset. What can I get out of this? Instead, we need to come into the worship service expecting to give praise and offerings to God. And yes, be challenged by His Word, but we should ask, what can the Lord get out of me today? And each and every day, not just on Sunday mornings, do we enter into His courts with praise saying, God, what can You get out of me? What can I give You today? How can I worship You? How can I give of myself? Because authentic worship gets the focus off of us and onto God. And it's not just on Sunday mornings. Paul is saying this is a lifestyle. That as these fruits of the Spirit are produced in us, we will have authentic worship to praise and give thanks to God each and every day. It's not about just the hour on Sunday morning or the two hours you come to this church building. It boils down to your relationship. It boils down to verse 11, that first part, that renewal. Are you being renewed? Is Christ your all? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to constantly come back to this. To see Him as our all. Paul pulls all these strings together at the tail end. As we recognize that Christ is our all. As we live out, not just on Sunday morning 
but we live out our life each and every day. We're called to give glory to God. We're called to do everything, as Paul puts it, in the name of the Lord. So how you drive your car tomorrow morning to work, do you drive it in the name of the Lord? When you're at practice Monday evening, is it in the name of the Lord? When I started looking at this phrase, I started thinking about those what would Jesus do bracelets? And I started to write this, and I wrote this phrase. When we're confronted with any decision, any choice, maybe it's a moral issue, maybe it's just to do this or that, every decision we have in our life, maybe it really is simply coming to a phrase like, what would Jesus do? But from this passage, I summarized it. How can I do it? Fill in the blank. In the name of the Lord. And if I can't do it in the name of the Lord, then I shouldn't be doing it. One of the phrases that I'm sure Alicia's cousin would get upset with, I know he would because he and I talked about this, um, we would always tell him when he would go out, um, when he lived with us, he was 18, and just in how he drove or how he spoke, whatever, we'd ask him, Does that, is that truly representing Christ? Is it representing who we are as a family? And he and I have had this discussion because he told me I could share it, so I, I will share it. It made him pause sometimes with what he was about to do. If he would joke a certain way, or if he would go hang out with a certain group of people. Can I do this in the name of the Lord? So as we wrap up, the last point that I see here, when these strings are tied together and we are starting to live a life that is so dependent on Jesus Christ that He is our all and He is in all, that we are able to go to the Lord and proclaim through love and that we are really rooted in that we will see our worship be full of thanksgiving and thankfulness. We will see the peace that surpasses all understanding coming from the Father because we will recognize that we will be grafted together. that we will be united, that we will be so intertwined with each other because we are planted in the church, the body of Christ, that we are one. 
So during this closing song, I would ask you to think about this question. What can you do this week to promote this oneness, this unity amongst other believers? Maybe for you this week, you're connected with FCA at one of the schools. Can you encourage another FCA member who doesn't go to our church? Speak into their lives. Maybe it's at work. You know five cubicles down or however far it is, they're a Christian. Can you go encourage them this week? Maybe it's somebody who's in the this room today. You need to encourage them and promote this oneness. Maybe it's just writing them a real paper and ink letter or note. As we sing this song, Listen to the Holy Spirit. Because I believe He is challenging us each this week to promote the unity of the believers. Not just inside the four walls of our church, but across the world. Maybe there's a missionary that you've been praying for that you haven't made contact with in a while. Send them an email. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank You. We thank You that we are one in You and that we are equal. It doesn't matter how long we've been on this journey, that we are all baptized in one Spirit, that that Spirit speaks. And that we need each other. And so Jesus, I pray that as You challenge us this week, that we would follow. We would follow Your example of selfless love to pour out of ourselves into somebody else this week. To encourage them, to strengthen them on their walk with You. And so Lord, as we give You all that we are, Take us. Take us to fulfill the challenge that You're placing on our hearts today. In Your holy name we pray. Amen.